0: Ever since day one, we've been talking about that this takes the Holy Spirit to live this out. Once we get through the Beatitudes, Jesus makes this statement and he says, your faith must be um, beyond that of the Pharisees. And this was a radical thing. How is it these religious, pious people that Jesus is asking us to go above and beyond what the Pharisees were doing? How is the Holy Spirit? So as he's going through this, he's actually highlighting some of the Ten Commandments and he's, he's adding to it. He's elevating it. He's, he's saying, this is how you're going to go beyond what they're doing. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, he's hitting commandment number three, which is don't misuse the Lord's, your God's name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And he talks about it through the context of oaths. So if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew 5, starting with verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. Now when he's talking about making an oath in the name of the Lord. So if you was in ancient times to take an oath or to to swear before God and you don't do it, you misused his name. So Jesus is teaching on the third commandment from Exodus 20 verse 7. Again, you've heard this said uh, to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows You have made. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. But all you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from. The evil one. Kind of the big idea that Jesus is saying here, the, the summarizing of what he's saying is, he's basically t- emphasizing, tell the truth, live truthful. I mean, he's saying a, a lot more than that, but if you had to boil it down, that, that's what he's saying. Now, this word, it, uh, swear or oath that we just read uh, in the Greek literally means to take an oath, to declare a thing, to make a vow, a vow, uh, to, to swear, a vow, swear, promise or all use interchangeably. Now, have you ever had someone promise you something and break it? Show of hands. Okay, wow, about half the room. So the other half were the probably the breakers, right? So, like, have you ever promised something and didn't follow through? What is it about a promise that when it doesn't happen, there is great disappointment? Because it's a little bit different than saying, like, yeah, if I can make it, I'll be there. But when we say, no, I promise, it's, there's something in that feels like they're telling the truth. And there's a weight, a weightiness to a promise. There's a, there's a weightiness to an oath. Now, in ancient times, if you wanted to emphasize, I'm going to do this, I'm going to follow through on this, this, this is going to be what's happening, I'm telling you the truth, you would invoke some God's name. And Jesus is telling us, like, don't do that, don't invoke God's name, because a vow, a promise that we just read uh, was, was something that was not taken lightly. It meant you could count on it. So a vow in ancient times meant this, and we kind of worked up a definition from some of the commentaries I read. It's an absolute guarantee. You just invoked a God's name. This means I can count on that promise. It's going to be kept. You're going to follow through on your word. You're going to keep that promise. And it's, there's something deep and meaningful. Now, the reason why Jesus starts talking about, you know, don't even make a vow against Jerusalem, don't make a vow uh, against, uh, you know, the temple, don't make a vow even against your own head. The reason why He said that, because the religious people knew, you don't invoke God's name, because He takes that very seriously. It means you got to follow through it. So what they were doing is they were creating loopholes. Well, invoking Jerusalem and vowing to Jerusalem is not as bad as, uh, is not as powerful. You got an out. I kind of, a way to think about it now would be um, if someone say, well, we shook on it. Well, that's not as powerful as, as if you signed the dotted line. Does that make sense? You can give a woman a promise ring or you can get her a wedding ring. Are you seeing the difference? So the promise ring is like, you know, I, I might one day ask you to marry me. That's the loophole. So Jerusalem, the temple, they, they would say, well, if you make a vow this way, it's kind of like a promise, but not as, not as big as like the vow. Is this making sense what I'm saying so far? Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up, because Jesus says something interesting. He says, don't even do it against those, because actually God is tied to all of that. Jerusalem is his. The earth is his. The temple is his. Your own head is his. And we're not to make any vows, any promises. He says, just let your yes be yes, your no be no. Just live truthful. Just live honestly. Don't go beyond that. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Now, the closest thing that we have to our day to an ancient vows is probably a presidential inauguration. Every president, when they're sworn into office, they put their hand on the the left hand on the Bible. They raise their right hand and they swear to God they're going to uphold the Constitution. Hopefully they're not doing that flippantly or just in a trite way, but they actually mean it. Because you're invoking God. Another way is weddings, right? So at a wedding, the congregate, your friends, your family, they show up. They are a witness between you and God. And you're invoking His name upon your marriage. To, to, you're making a vow, and you're saying before God and before the assembly, I promise, for better or for worse, are you feeling the weight of a vow? That's why when divorce happens, which we talked about last week, it's so violent to the soul. And when vows are broken, it's much more, much more than just, you know, not keeping your word. I think often we judge ourselves by our intentions. Other people actually judge us by our actions. So now I want to talk about this, this statement Jesus says. So he just says, don't swear at all, but he makes a statement even by your own head. Like, don't even, don't even make a statement in your in your own life, say, because you can't even make, one hair, white or black. So I want to talk about an inner vow. So we understand like what a vow is. Kind of another modern day vow would be when you go to a courtroom and you got to testify. It used to be Bibles were in courtrooms. Of course, we kicked God out of the court. But used to be Bibles would be around the same thing. Put your hand on the Bible, swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And what you were saying is I'm going to follow through on my word. It's going to be honest. That's why Jesus is saying this. Simply live honestly. So an inner vow is a little different because it's something you say in your own heart, in your own mind. It's a self-oriented commitment that you make in your heart in response to a person, experience some trauma that you had, some desire in your life, and you make this internal vow. That's a way to say it. Inner vow is this internal vow, a promise to yourself. And Jesus said, don't swear at all, but we kind of do this. Now, we don't call it that, but we do make promises to ourselves. Kind of examples of this would be when we say something like, I never, I always, I'm not going to be, this is always going to happen in my life. And what you're doing is you're making an inner vow. And these are triggered subconsciously because a lot of times it's from negative events in our life. And so we're trying to self protect. And so what happens is we make these vows I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm, I'm never going to be like my dad. I'm always going to have this. So we make these. Inter- now, there's some danger to making inner vows. And I want to talk about these dangers and then, then how, do, how do we actually live truthful. So here's some three dangers of inner vows. Number one, inner vows are self-focused commitments. They didn't come from God. They came from you. You made a vow in your own head, in your own mind, but you excluded God. And so now he cannot intervene. In moments of trauma, we make a promise to ourselves. We've gone through a divorce. And so we, we think things like, I'm never going to trust a man again. Because of, of that painful experience. So we're responding to the experience. So you, many of you know, uh, several weeks ago, my wife was in a terrible motorcycle accident. And so she has said, I'm never getting back on a motorcycle. That's, I understand that, don't you? (laughs) Like, and some of you have had, you've been in terrible car accidents on the highway. You never get back on a 94 again. And now there is some, maybe some wisdom, like you understand there's a risk to riding a bike, but when it's fear motivated, right? And Jenny has said, like, several friends in her life have already said to her, like, hey, you know, it might be you never get back on a bike, just out of wisdom or just because of the risk of it, but it can't be from fear. This is a self-proclaimed vow because I'm afraid and I must self-protect, right? And so inner vows, and it's excluding God. Well, did God tell you that? Um, Here's some examples of inner vows. No one will ever hurt me again. I'm never going to be vulnerable. You shared that secret you were vulnerable, you know, like, ah, and you told somebody, or maybe you told a group of people you thought it was a safe space, but then the gossip happened, and like, it crushed you. Other people found out. It ruined your reputation. You're like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to be open. You know, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to be strict with my kids, or or I will always be strict, or I'm I'm always going to have the best. Maybe you grew up in a poverty situation or you had less income than other kids in your school and you noticed the difference. I'm always going to have the best. These are inner vows that that we're making. I'm not going to be like my mom. Whoa, that's quiet. Okay, I thought they'd get a joke, but it didn't. All right, Uh, uh, no one will break my heart. I'm never going to share my secrets. I'm never going to force my kids to go to church. These are all intervals. And the danger is you're actually excluding God. And Jesus says, just say yes or no. Just ask the Lord, Lord, am I supposed to do this? Yes, okay, I'm gonna do that. Or, or no. But you don't have to make these vows. Number two, dangers of interval. One, you're excluding God's intervention. Number two, it becomes a guiding force in your life because you're self protecting. You, you're creating a boundary around your heart. they hurt me I'm never going to be hurt again and still instead of letting God heal that moment instead of asking God, Lord how do you see this situation and, and, and walking through forgiveness and it may be there needs to be an appropriate boundary, but it doesn't mean you can't ever trust again because what happens is it becomes a guiding force in your life. Jimmy Evans pastor down in Texas. He uh, has an organization, uh, a Mar- Marriage on the Rocks. He is one of the largest marriage ministries in our nation. He tells a story. He grew up in poverty, and he's, he had made a vow when he was a kid. When I get a job, I'm always going to have Coke in my fridge. Seems innocent enough. Okay, yeah, that's not a big deal. But the thing about inner vows is they become guiding forces, and almost we embellish it. Or it goes way beyond. We're kind of weird about it. We get really weird about it. So what he did, when he finally got money, he bought a fridge, put it in his garage, and filled the, the fridge's purpose was purely for Coke, just filled full of Coke. And his wife was like, whoa, this is, this is not normal, Jimmy. That It was a guiding force in his life because he made this vow. I'm not ever going to be poor, and I'm always going to have Coke in my life. One of the intervals that I made, I don't have time to share the whole story, but I showed up late. It was before Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, so 20, I don't know, many, many years ago, 25, 6, 7 years ago, long time ago. Uh, I was on a plane on a worship team, and I showed up late, really late, I should say, and uh, I didn't make the service. This bothered the worship leader. And he said this statement to me. He said, Mike, I'm going to have to lay you, use the terms, lay you off the worship team. Pierced my heart. Trauma. Uh, it was a negative event in my life. And when he did that, it broke my heart. We ended up leaving the church. I'm never going to go back to church, is what we say. We were in a two-year cycle because of, of inner vow. And when I finally did go back to church, I made this vow. I'm never going to be late again. Now, that seems... Hey, that seems wise, doesn't it? This is the thing about inner vows. It can seem wise. You know, like I had this moment, and I got kind of fired from the worship team because they viewed me as unreliable. I don't ever want to be seen unreliable again, so I'm going to make a vow that I will always be on time. Now, being on time is actually a good thing. There's wisdom in that. You should, you know, you should care about other people's time. When I show up late, you know, it messes everybody else's schedule up, so be on time. But the inner vow, the, what's different is becomes a controlling force when it's unholy. When it's an inner vow, it starts to guide your life. So because I made this inner vow, when we were at Kalamazoo, if the kids and Jenny weren't ready by the time I wanted to go, I would just get in my car and leave without them. It's true. I would just get in a car, and Jen would show up at church like, why didn't you wait for us? Like, I was going to be late. It was this guiding force, and it wasn't like I was angry with Jen. I was like, I can't be late. Get the keys, go in the car, and go. And uh, it's just this weird thing. And that's what intervals do. There's this weird thing about it. Like, why do you have all this Coke in your garage? Why, why, did you, why don't you ever ride to church with your family? Well, I can't be late. And I remember one time she's like, hey, how about we switch roles? You get the kids ready and I go in the car and honk. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's, No. They become a guiding force. The brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, said this. James 3 says, likewise, the tongue, right? The things we say this is a small part of the body. It makes great boasts. When you make a vow, you're swearing, you're making a promise. That's a, a great thing you're doing. It makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You think you're just not going to be late anymore. You think you just want coke. You you, you think it's just a small thing. The tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. These vows begin to set, become a guiding force in our life. Sets the whole course on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. I'll just say this because I think it's the Holy Spirit telling me to say this. It's because it's coming to my mind. Some of you have made intervals during a pandemic. Something about it, and I don't know what they are. Maybe it's like I'm never going to public again, or there's been great fears you now have in your life, and now the world's always scary. It's an interval. And you're self-protecting, and you won't have conversations with people, and you better be six feet away from me. And, it's, and I get there's wisdom in some of that, and if you're sick, please stay home. I don't want your germs or your virus, but... When it's like, I don't know, I got a sniffle. <laughs> or, uh, I, I, you know, listen, don't make intervals. I think there's wisdom. I'm not saying let's be irresponsible. But there's a difference when it starts becoming a guiding force in your life. And you won't sit by anybody. You won't go to places anymore. The public now scares you. This is an vow that was not from God. Do not swear, even by your own head. Logically, you thought through it. Made sense in the moment, but in the end, it's damaging. And that's the third danger in this. It actually damages relationships. Intervals will damage when, you, when you're just leaving your wife at home because you don't want to be late, there were conversations Jen and I had to have about that. Now we worked through it. but intervals damage a relationship with God and other people. They feel your vow is a wall. Because it's a self-protecting, right? So I'm going to build this wall around my life, and people feel your vow. They don't know. We don't, we don't say, like, oh, I feel a vow in you. Like, but we feel like that weirdness or the energy that you're giving in a in moment because of this thing that has wounded you, and we feel your wound. And then often, sometimes, people respond to the wall. And then we're like, why, how come you don't ever talk to me? Well, you made a vow. Well, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to have disagreements. It's better to keep my mouth shut, the inner vow. I'm going to just keep my mouth shut all the time. I'll be safer if I don't say anything. When really, but really what you're doing, you're seething on the inside. People feel that, like, are you okay? Like, yeah. But they know you're not okay. <laughs> what is that? That's your inner vow damaging relationships. And we must work through this because what we're doing when we have an inner vow is one, it, it's a self-proclaimed promise. Two, it becomes a guiding force and three, other people feel it and we're closing God off when he's just saying, hey, if I heal you, you can talk. Hey, if I heal you, you, you can have healthy relationships. If you let me heal you, I can walk through this. But do not make inner vows. So Jesus is emphasizing, live truthful. You're, you're in bondage. You're not in freedom when we, when we have these vows. So how do we do it? How do we live truthful? How do we, how do we get through this? Number one, we have to, we have to be honest because this is what Jesus is emphasizing, living honestly. So recognize them and renounce any inner vows. It's super simple. Once the Holy Spirit reviews a vow, you repent of it. Say, God, I made this vow. I realize that, that it's not from you. That it, it's from me. So, I made, I've made i made several inner vows. And when you hear this for the first time, most people's response is, that's not me. I don't have any vows. Well, you don't know until you ask the Holy Spirit. Remember, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live out these, these kingdom principles that Jesus is, is teaching us. Inner vows can be many things. I made a list of other ones. I'll read them to you. Um... No one is ever going to tell me what to do. I'm always going to follow the crowd. Or, you know, I'm never going to say what I think. Uh, I I will never trust a man again. I'll never trust a woman. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to fly in a plane. I'm never going to get on that highway. I'm not going to go out in public anymore. I'm never going to fall in love. I'm never going to let anyone get close to me. People, men, women, ethnic groups, religious groups, politics, they're always filling the blank. Democrats are always, uh, Republicans are always, and and you fill in the blank. These are inner vows, and it does damage relationships. Uh, I'll never trust God, never trust men, never trust women, never trust teachers, never trust the company, the organization I work for. I'm always going to have the best. All of these are inner vows, and we need to repent of them because we're excluding God from that area of our life. One of the inner vows I made when I was a kid, I, I grew up in poverty. Um was, I'm never gonna go bankrupt because I experienced bankruptcy through my, my mom and dad went bankrupt. And I said, I'm never gonna be bankrupt. And I said, I'm always gonna have steak and Coke in my fridge. But what happened was that vow became a guiding force in my life. So what I started doing is I started getting in all kinds of debt because I wanted, I wanted to appear successful because I judged my parents experience and it created this unhealthy lens over my heart and so I felt like I had to have certain things to feel acceptable and then I go then I inadvertently because this becomes this unhealthy guiding force instead of letting God control my finances I'm letting a vow control the direction in the course of my life and I'm in over my head we come to the point where we end up I'm bankrupt at 20 years old because at 18 I figured out you could get credit cards you could build your credit that was the goal by the way good credit but i overextended then after bankruptcy i'm like i'm always going to have good credit and then i started like seeking the approval of a credit score for crying out loud and the lord had to say you have an inner vow now i believe (laughs) i believe in having, being healthy in your finances. In every area, your finances, your marriage, your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual life. We should be healthy in all these areas, but we can be healthy in one and have inner vows in another. I was pursuing the Lord, but I was closing him off to my finances, and then we got in over our head. So we have to recognize. So I had to say this, and I'll never forget when, when the Lord told me, you have a vow about credit scores. I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, this woman was sharing about how uh, she's just sharing her story about how we looked for approval. And so I asked the Lord, am I doing that? He's like, yeah, you made a vow. You're going to have a high credit score. And, um, and you're, that's where your affirmation's coming from. And I had to renounce it. Father, forgive me. That's, that did not come from you. The approval of man through a credit score is demonic. Cr- a good credit score is good. But the approval of it or the sense of fulfillment that you think it's going to give you is demonic. Is this making sense? So we renounce the lies. Now, Leviticus, Moses teaches us this in Leviticus. If anyone thoughtlessly takes an oath, Leviticus 5 4 through 5 says, if anyone thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, right? Thoughtlessly, like you didn't think about it, you just said it. So, and he's saying, you can do this without knowing it, thoughtlessly, you don't know you're doing it. In any matter, one might carelessly swear about, right? You're having this oath, you're making this promise, even though they're unaware of it. But then they learn and realize their guilt. When anyone becomes aware, they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess, Lord, they have sinned. Inner vows are sinful because that means God does not have a control of our life. He's not Lord over that part of our life. So when the Holy Spirit says, this is your inner vow, you say, Lord, forgive me for that. I, kind of one of the recent ones in the last like five or so years, um, I was going through a dark season in my life, kind of processing some things. I went on a missions trip. I was on this missions trip, and while I'm there, I'm hating it not because of the trip. The trip was powerful. God moved in it. That part was awesome. But me presently being there, I was I was not at my best mentally, physically, and I, and I wasn't sharp. I just felt like out of my element, and I thought, oh, I'm not called to missions. So when I left that trip, I said, I'm, I'm not going to ever do missions again. Now, I flippantly said this. So one day, I don't remember if it was a message I was doing or I, I don't remember how the Holy Spirit brought this to me, but the Holy Spirit highlighted, I had asked, Lord, do I have an inner vow? And he said, yes, you said you're never going to missions again. And I said, oh, Lord, forgive me. And he unpacked that for me, began to heal me of that. And I got freedom. And we love missions here. We sow into it. Like, uh, but you have to recognize, if you want to live truthful, recognize, renounce. Um, your inner bowels number two and this is the heart of what jesus is saying because he says let your simply let your yes be yes your no be no so number two let every word your, your yes and your no just be simple straightforward and honest so commentaries say jesus is mostly talking about the third commandment but some other commentaries say he's also leaning into the commandment of thou shalt not lie just let your yes be yes and your no be no, because when you're making a vow to Jerusalem or the temple, you're ahead, you're actually lying to yourself. You're, you're saying I'm, it's not worth making it, so you're, you're lying. Why do we lie? Why don't we live honestly? There's a couple reasons why. Most of us, I think if I was asked the question, how many here want to live honestly? I think we'd all lift our hands, hopefully. Uh, you'd say, yeah, I want to be an honest person. You're in church, so I, I think that would be an, an easy assumption but we do it though why we most of the time we we value honesty we value truthfulness but we lie because it's going to be an awkward moment i know if we get honest this is might be painful or we want to avoid the conflict we want to avoid pain so we simply lie we 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 lie. I've wrote down some definitions of a lie. A lie is unduly withholding truth. It's leaving something out of the story. It's telling half-truths. I've heard one pastor say, half truth's a full lie. Um, uh, twisting the facts, inventing falsehoods or shady truth. Here's the problem with lying. Duke University did a study that once you start telling a lie, it gets easier and easier to keep doing it and you start living out of this and you have this false thing about you, you think even the lying is helpful. You like justify it. Well, it's helping them if they don't know that piece because I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to. I don't want to hurt their heart. Or I don't want to embarrass them. Or I don't want. You don't want to have the conversation. Or maybe you feel like you'll be. I don't want to be embarrassed. It's better. You know. No. You're not being honest. You're not living honestly. This is. Jesus is elevating these truths for us. Matthew 12:36 through 37 says, "I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word." For by your words, you're justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. We are not to be careless with our words. We're not to be untruthful. We're to be honest. Now, let me just say, let me give a little caveat to this. Being truthful doesn't mean you always have to speak your peace of your mind. See that on Facebook quite a bit. And, you know, it's just not helpful. So is it helpful? Is it godly? Is God, is it going to help us if we have, to, you know, have, have this dialogue? Is that making sense? You know, when someone says, I don't mean to be offensive, but I don't mean to offend you. But, oh, you just stop right there. When you say that, you're about ready to offend me. That's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we're in something. There's some, there's some conflict that does need resolution. I got, you got, we got to be truthful about that. But just saying what's on our mind is not what Jesus is saying. There's Proverbs that talks about one who keeps his mouth shut. Talks about the fool says all that he thinks. So that's not what we're talking. You must have wisdom in it. But in the moment of real relationships with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your boss, like we're to be honest, we're to live truthful. This is how we live truthful. Recognize, renounce, inner vows. You'll have truth in your life. Let every word that you say, speak, be simple. Let it be straightforward and honest. And number three, and we'll land it here. Don't misuse God's name. Now, this is the heart of what Jesus is talking about. Every commentary that I've read highlights Exodus 20, verse 7. says this is what Je- he's expounding on, Exodus 27, and we'll just read it together. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is important because when we misuse God's name, and let me just pause and say, we're not talking about when someone says Jesus Christ or God damn it. Like, listen, certainly that is part of that. But in ancient times, they didn't have that as cuss words. They wouldn't even invoke God's name. They wouldn't even say Yahweh. They wouldn't say Jehovah. So that wasn't even like, that's just part of our culture. We've taken culture and applied this, but it's way more meaningful than just saying Flippantly saying Jesus Christ or God damn it, and Jesus is talking about an oath, or invoking God's name to make yourself look good. I'm going to read some examples of what what does it mean to misuse God's name. It means name dropping him to impress others. You're a follower of Jesus. And there's some truth and some authenticity, but some of us, we want to appear pious, right? So we want to share how much of the Bible we know. We want to impress by our biblical knowledge. Or it's like religiously or piously, like, the Lord's been so good to me, brother. Oh, please. Like, you know, when someone like, it feels like you're, like you're rolling your eyes at what they're saying because it doesn't seem authentic. It's probably real. God probably is good to you. But the reason you're saying it is to appear righteous. Is It's a heart thing. And when we live that way, we're misusing God's name. Withholding good from other people is misusing God. You're a follower of Jesus, but if you're withholding good to your friend or you're not, you're not extending that forgiveness that as Christians we're called to do, When we withhold good or we withhold forgiveness, we're misusing God's name. See, are you seeing the weight of it now? It's much more than just flippantly using God's name. When we manipulate, we dishonor. When we invoke God's name at an unholy wedding, it is misusing His name. Why? Because you're calling God to bless something that doesn't align with His character. You're misusing the Lord's name. We do not take the name of the Lord God made. This is what Jesus means when he's emphasizing, live truthfully. Don't make vows flippantly. Deal with that. Speak truthfully. Live simply, let your, he says simply. Keep it simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is evil. Now, we're not talking about simply cleaning up our words. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit empowering our words to live authentically, to live truthful, to live pure. If we don't take what Jesus is saying about oaths seriously, we are in danger of corrupting our character and our integrity if we misuse the Lord's name or if we live with these inner vows. So here's how I want to close today. I want to pray for you. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, which of these is you? Do you have an inner vow? Is it that the Lord wants you to start being honest now? Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no? Or is it that You have misused his name, and you used his name to look good, to sound intelligent. Just ask the Holy Spirit, if one of those are for you. Just take a moment, you and the Lord, just let the Holy Spirit minister. Just ask, Lord, do I have an inner vow? If something randomly and quickly came to your head, that's the Holy Spirit. And all you just say, I recognize that. I renounce it. I ask you to forgive it. I break it off my life. Father, I pray, empower your people to live truthful, to live with pure motives, to not walk in unholy vows, but that we, we live... We live with simple truth. Simply letting our yes be yes and our no be no, we're honest. We keep our word. So we welcome you. Father, I just believe right now people are getting set free from inner vows. Marriages are going to be stronger. We're going to be able to live more free now. We're going to be able to lean into tough, tough conversations because... You're releasing us from these vows. We become aware of it. We confess it. We repent. And I believe you're removing that off of our life. In Jesus' name.